I'm Joe Forish, and this is You Say Data, I Say Data podcast. We talk about data, analytics, and its impact on business and society. We are the podcast for the Analytics Impact Network. Please visit us at analyticsimpactnetwork.org. Do you monitor your bank account closely to make sure no one is pilfering small sums? Do you remember when the internet was slow? And finally, how you can create a CRM that doesn't cost a dime. My guest today is Dennis Riley. Dennis is a business strategist and owner of the company Goals to Results. Dennis works with small business owners uniquely by starting with their data or data of their business. Dennis believes that data is the DNA of business. He has been a business owner for over 28 years with his first business being a software development company. Dennis says that he has been working with data since a freshman in college in 1984. Hi, Dennis. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm happy you're here today. Thank you very much for taking the time. Oh, no problem. So shall we jump right into it? Let's dive in. Okay. First and foremost, how did you get started in software development? <laughs> um, I remember way back when, when the earth, earth was uh, flat uh, in 84, when I was graduating uh, high school, actually before then, I was filling out uh, a form to go to college. And uh, I was just with a bunch of people. And they said, oh, what's your major? And someone says, computer science. I said, all right, computer science. That's how I went to college on a computer science major. And I absolutely loved programming. And I just went from there. I Then I graduated college. I did a couple of uh, software development uh, courses. I mean, software development uh Positions, and I said, I want to go on my own. I want to be a programmer, and I started a company. Awesome. I love that story. So back when you were doing computer science and development, as you said, back in the 80s, how was it done back then, back in the day? Well, you know, it's interesting. I was at the beginning of the PC generation. Mm -hmm. So before, generation before me was all mainframes. And so, you know, in fact, you know, when we first started doing coding in college, you know, Fortran, I, I think my first one was Fortran, assembly language. I had to learn zeros and ones. Uh-huh. That, I mean, you, when you really want to know how to program, you know, when you, the zeros and ones, wow, does that put you in line very quickly. And so I, I was doing assembly language, Fortran, basic Pascal was the up and, up and coming thing was C at the time. And so that's how I started. In fact, my first uh, job out of college was Visual Basic and Power Builder. This was way before in internet. And so it was called client service. So what we had to do is we were taking, pro, we were programming the mainframe as the back end and the PC was the front end. And that's how, that's how uh, things went. So, Every single like database 
was not on the PC. It was on a mainframe. And so what we did is we took terminals and, and PCs later to do the front end stuff. And so the users would, you know, call, you know, to, you know, do some stuff. And, and if you wanted to get any data uh, using any SQL, the database was on a mainframe. And so that's how we did things. And the cool part is, is that it really forced you to really learn how to problem solve because you really had to get the ins and outs of languages. And then as the languages starting to get more and more, especially on the internet, you know, the first uh, internet ones that I did was Cold Fusion. I learned Cold Fusion. Then I went from Cold Fusion to, uh, you know, C sharp, uh, .NET and then C Sharp, uh, all that stuff. So to me, once I had the background of, of really doing a lot of uh, programming, the tool was just what, what tools am I using? What, what, what language am I using? And that, that was the tool. And I knew how to program so well that, you know, the tool was just syntax. So it sounds like because you had a great foundation with programming, with coding, with understanding the logic and the problem solving as a language is developed, it was very easy for you to change as a language is advanced. Yeah, because you really had to, when we did that, we did uh, learning how to code and problem solving and, you know, in the structures, the structures of writing code, you know, um, and then, you know, as, as other code start, as other languages start to become more popular with more modular and functions and all that stuff, it was just adapting the way I was coding. That's all. And if somebody wants to get started in coding today, how would you recommend they go about it? I mean, to me, it's you really have to know how to problem solve, you know, and you really have. And the one thing is reverse engineering. You always start with the end in mind. So today when you're coding, you know, what do you go? What are you coding? And then because usually the things that are challenging is what does the end user want? Because once you decide what the end user wants, it's pretty straightforward how to code. You know, you're going to get problems along the way, but you know the destination you're going to. If you don't start with the end user, your destination might be totally wrong. So everything that you code, you have to recode. I, those are the main lessons that I learned in coding was that if I didn't, you know, a lot of people like, you know, when I was doing things, it's like, Oh, we have to listen to the end user. No, no, no. They don't know what they're talking about. We're going to do this. And what happens is if you don't give what the end user wants, no matter how well the code was written, they're going to think it's not working. Got it. So it applies to the old adage that the customer is always right. You know what? It really is. <laughs> because it's, there's so many different ways to program. And if you have your audience in mind, boom, there's your win. And what are some other observations you learned along the way within computer development? The, when I start to do more work with the data and the databases, that really hooked me. You know, the SQL end of things because, you know, writing store procedures and, and getting the data set up. Because if you did a lot of that at the beginning, at least when I was doing it, you wrote less code. Because now you have the data formulated how you want and you do triggers and store procedures on the database. And then all of a sudden you're now, you now know the end result and it's easier to code. I got it. 
We also talked a little bit beforehand. You mentioned to me, and I'd I love for you to share this in greater detail with our listeners, that when the internet first appeared, a lot of people said that it was a fad. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, oh my God. <laughs> you know, it has it a lot of fads. You know, <laughs> that, Yeah, because it, you know what, and. I hate to admit this, but like I had my hand raised a little on that too because really? I'm like, well, not a, well. Here's the thing, you know, when the first internet first came out, first of all, all right, I, mean, I started in the DOS world, okay. So you know, when I had command prompt and I wanted to do a directory, I typed in dir space c colon, and then I got my directory. Uh-huh. When it went from there to like the Max came along, and it's like. Oh, that's just a toy. That's just a toy, you know. Then Windows came along and I said, okay, I better learn Windows pretty damn quickly because that's the front end. So now I had the Windows and now when the internet came along, it's like, nothing's going to replace this desktop. Come on, <laughs> please. <laughs> and, and the thing was is that because remember, usually what happens the first iteration of anything, the technical people get a hold of it first. Mm-hmm. And so it's not flashy. You know, just like I said that the the you always should do with the end users in mind, the first iterations of everything is not flashy. It's just, it's a result of something. Look what I can do. And then as people go, that's pretty cool how you could do it. But you know what? It's, I wish it was cleaned up a little. Then the second iteration came along and the third, or the copycatters came along and said, you know what? I can get that result, but I can make it look prettier. And then so what happened is the first iterations of the internet was really cryptic and really, okay, this isn't going to work type deal, or or I don't see this working because it didn't have a beautiful face on it. I got it. It worked, but it just didn't look pretty. Exactly. Or you know what also? The other reason why the internet was a fad was bandwidth. That's correct. Because if you didn't, if you know the old dial-up modem, you know, all that, and you had a crappy one, you thought the internet was a piece of crap. (laughs) And it's like, this is never going to work. And that's why I think a lot of people called it a fad, because there wasn't a lot of speed. So if people were waiting around for doing all this stuff, they're like, who needs this? I'm going to go do it quickly over here. Mm Mm-hmm. As soon as it became a three, four, five super lane highway, then all of a sudden, you know what? This thing is here to stay. Yeah. You know, but before then, you know, it was the modem, it was the dial up. It was crap. <laughs> but now, now it's not. Exactly. <laughs> it's well, quite the about, opposite. Now you don't, you think about it, not many people now even think about their speed until something's not working. Then you're like, what's wrong with the internet? You know, so the first thing, it isn't about speed anymore. It's about what you can do on it because the speed is taken for granted. Whereas when I when it started, the speed was nothing. So it was only results. And the people went, oh, I like these results, but the speed is slow. Got it. And then, you know, that was early 90s, give or take. Yep. And then later in the 90s, there was also another issue that occurred, Y2K. I remember it well because New Year's Eve 1999, I was working. And what happened? Well, the interesting thing is, and this is, I don't understand this at all. When computers and a lot of these applications were first made and stuff, they only had two digits. And even when it was 
you know, built whenever, it's like, come on, two digits? Don't you think it's going to be a little bit more than you're hoping that this thing lasts more than 100 years? And you're talking about the, the two digits in the year. In the, in the date, yeah. It used to go M-M-D-D-Y-Y, and that's it. And when was this started, roughly, this nomenclature? I don't know when it was, I would, you know what? I would definitely say, put this way, think about all these computers back in the 70s and 60s, even 50s, even if it was 50, okay? Let's say it was the 50s. They only thought it was going to go 50 years or they didn't even think that. They're like, okay, everything's always MMDDYY. Yeah. And you think no one along the way, even when it went from mainframe, even when it went from like the really, really big, big oversized mainframes to like the decks of the world and the wings of the world, you wouldn't think that that language would have four digits on the year. And so what was interesting is that no one knew, especially like when an application uh, went from, you know, especially if it was date-driven like age, like insurance companies. Insurance companies had a lot of riding on this because, or it, that my biggest client was a health, was a health insurance company because everything was age-driven and how you got the rates. So if you had someone who was, you know, born in 19, if you have someone born 1920 or something, and they're going to turn 80 at, they're, they're 80 at, you know, 1999, 2000, they instantly could turn minus 20, okay? <laughs> minus 20 because it's 1900, the date's 1900, but you were born 1920. Guess what? You're minus. So anything that was especially with the coding, anything that was always minus zero, it mine had a negative number, rounded up to zero most times when you do the ages. So now an 80-year-old would instantly get a, almost like they were born. So that, you know, someone, a newborn usually has a rate of something on a, on a uh, medical uh, insurance, but an 80-year-old so much more. So think about it. If you didn't fix this, fix this right, yeah, ages would go to crap, but also their rates would go so far down. And so what we had to do is we had to make sure that the database had four. And then the interesting thing is, which is one way, but the second way was no one left a lot of space on the actual screen for dates more than, you know, the two digits. So it wasn't just, oh, I'll just add these two digits because those two digits to make it a little bit wider would now interfere with the next field that was on the screen. Yeah, it was a lot of stuff, both both from a technical point of view and also just a screen point of view too as well. And so, you know, we had like six month projects that we were working on trying to make sure that, okay, when the clock struck midnight, it was fine. Now, it worked. Now the question is, did it work because, oh, I'm a genius? Or did it work because it was a false flag that everything would have been okay even if nothing happened? And what was it like that night, though, when you were in the office? It's New Year's Eve. It's 11.59. The, the clock is changing. Like, what, what did it feel like? T take us through that. It was a little bit of a nerve-wracking thing because you're <laughs> like, oh, yes, it's good. Because all the quote-unquote testing, we used to do all this testing, especially the last month, especially in that December we did a lot of testing, and but we simulated the test. Who knows what would have happened if you know? So what we did on our mainframe area um, on the in is set the date to you know January first, two thousand, mm -hmm. you know, and then watch to see what happens. 
and we, everything worked and we're like, okay, this is good, but until it actually done. And then, so it's a fit, it, interesting. So, you know, we had a screen that we ran, we ran some rates. We had a report that was running rates on about 1130 quarter 12 that night, got the totals. And then at 1201, we ran the same report because the rates were based on ages. So the rates would be wrong if something was up. Mm -hmm. And then so you looked at it and the report ran pretty quickly because you just took a subset. So like by the latest 12, 12 o'clock and less than 01, you saw the rates and it's like, okay, this is good. I'm like, whoa, not so fast. One of these other 20 reports. And I mean, you kept saying to yourself, I think I'm okay. I'm, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. But until you ran all of them, you were fine. So how long did it take? Like half an hour, two hours? Uh, it took, honestly, it took about a half hour. And then we just said, okay, see you later. Bye. Let's go enjoy whatever is in the <laughs> night. <laughs> okay. Success. 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 Yes. That's awesome. Now, again, back then, you know, you didn't have cell phones, you know, or maybe the the rich people had cell phones. I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, or And so basically, you just said, okay, I'm done. Let's go home. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> You're welcome. Nowadays, what other sort of issues are developers missing? Obviously, Y2K was a big one, but what issues are coming up now? Actually, the biggest thing right now is probably cybersecurity. Because if you can if you can somehow manipulate the data and get through firewalls, you're screwed. Especially think about it, everything now is going to date, even money. How many times how when was the last time you you used money at a place? That's a good point. You know, nine times out of ten, they're like, Oh, sorry, do you have money? We're like, no, do you have an ATM <laughs> somewhere? Now it's Venmo. So you're like, okay, good, I got Venmo. You know, but think about it. If there's no Re currency that you actually exchange now, and it's all digital. What is preventing someone other than the big security stuff? But if someone can weave their way into some data and only manipulate a little bit, but that's all you need to do is manipulate a little and do that many, many times. You just, I mean, to me, that's huge. To me, anything that has to do with security. Whether it's data, whether it's, you know, things like, you know, like uh, we were talking about before the uh, electric grid and all that stuff. Anything that someone can go the back way in, I think it's even more, you know, Y2K at least was, you know, a known issue that we have to do. People are changing. It's amazing now. Think about it. It used to be you can spot these um, emails shams a mile away like oh hey my aunt louie just had a million dollars and you're the person all we need is your social security number you can have it now they're making it look like you know they they have the logo of the bank and things like that it's like it really is much much harder to distinguish the black hats from the white hats that's scary it's scary <laughs> you're exactly right along the same thought could there be someone out there who could essentially build a program to pilfer a few cents from everyone's bank account. Oh, easily. Think about it, easily. In fact, I wouldn't even say a few cents, even a dollar or something. You know, people think about it. If, if some people look at their uh, bank account, they may not see a dollar here. If they look at their bank account and they see like $100 gone or $1,000 gone, that's a different story. But when something's like a dollar something, it, you have to look at really, really in depth to go, oh, wait, that's not mine. You know, and 
if you think about it, if someone takes off like a few cents from everyone's bank account, you are pretty much taking care of the, their, their pilfering from society. Yeah, that's very, very frightening. Yeah. And it, it, we're relying on security, cybersecurity a lot, lot more. And so you really, you know, I don't know anything about cybersecurity. I'm just assuming that when I do something like, you know, Norton Utilities, I'm assuming that Norton Utilities is stopping people from going into my, uh, you know, my my laptop. I don't know that. I mean, that's a that's the that's the that's a great thing and the scary thing about the internet. Everyone's connected. So it sounds like if you don't want to take any sort of risk with anything, don't put it online. But that's a very very hard thing to do. And even think about it. Don't even put it on your phone. Think about it. I mean, that's how scary this is. Is that. It, we're all connected. It's a great thing. It's a fantastic thing. But it's also, you know, these people that want to do damage, they just got to break some codes and they do it. Now, shifting gears to a broader note, to a more happier subject. We talked before about how software development can really be a lesson in building a business. How, how does that work? Can you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. Absolutely. I've been, you know, my first business was in 1994 and uh, what we were talking about was a software development business. And it, I was doing it, we, you know, we built it to 10 people strong. We did a fantastic job. And I was talking to my clients about what they're going to do afterwards. And a lot of the clients were small business owners. And they were saying, oh, you know, we got to look at this. We got to look at that. Um, and I just kept talking more and more. And what happened was a lot of the stuff that we were talking about was just like setting up a program or developing a software program. Like we talked about earlier, like reverse engineering, okay? You can run a business reverse engineer because you need to know where your business is going. And so, you, you, you know, like we said, make sure you have the ends in mind first, just like running a business. Why are you in business? What's success to you? Where, where is your business going to be a year from now? That's reverse engineering. If you start from that, because that's, that's the result you want. If you start from that, you can move back reverse engineering. And so something like that, I absolutely love doing with clients because it's like the back of my hand. You know, that's how I learned how to program is reverse engineer. So I take people from the results and then I say, okay, what would happen if you got that result? What do you think is the second to last thing you might have done? And then we go down that way. And then usually what happens is I don't have, you know, we're not, um, we're not thinking about this saying, oh, we know all the answers. We're not fortune tellers. You can only go down from the result a few times and then you go where you currently are and move up. So what you do, it's almost like an accordion. You start from the top, get a few results that you think you need to go after. Start from the bottom. Hey, to me to get those results, I'd have to do these things first. And then you just keep putting the pieces together. And then you at least have some kind of path to go from where you are to where you want to be. Obviously, it's not, the, you know, it, it's not like we're doing a GPS, the exact roads. But at least we're saying you know, a perfect example would be if you wanted to travel from Boston to San Francisco. First of all, you say, I want to travel. I want to go to the United States. Well, where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. Well, you better find out where you want to go first. So if you say, okay, I want to go to San Francisco, well, at least you have a destination in mind. And then what if you said, I want to drive? 
Right now, you have no clue without looking it up on your phone or whatever, how to get to San Francisco. But you know, similarly, I got to start San Francisco. If I go farther, if I go back that way, do I want to go north, south, or just go east to Boston? In Boston, do I just want to go west or do I want to go south maybe, you know, depending on the road? So that's a good analogy to when you're running a business, it's like, you know, the reverse engineering really helps out. But the key thing that helps out when running a business that I really, really love is the systems aspect of it. Because when you're making systems for software development, it's a, it's pretty much you need different systems or modulars or procedures or whatever it is to get what you want. And especially what we were talking about coding before, how that before it used to be when I was doing basic, it's line after line after line. You go to the stuff today, you write modules and you plug a module in and, the, and it calls a module. If you look at it from a bare bones stuff, that module is a system. So just like in business, yeah, as a business owner, I can do everything myself if I'm a, just a one-man show. But if I have 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 people, I'm not going to do everything myself. So now there has to be systems in place that everyone follows the same procedure. That's a system. So that's how I help out the small business owners. And I say, look, you, when you started this company, you were a one-man show. And you're used to doing everything. Now, say you have 10 people working for you. You can't be doing everything anymore. But since you're the person who knew exactly what to do, you can come up with a system and then have other people follow that. Seems pretty logical. <laughs> it does. <laughs> now, in terms of being a business owner, the current economic environment is pretty challenging. So what advice would you give them, given your experience? That's a, that's a good question because you know what? In, you know, I've been in business for 28 years. I've seen the ups and downs. And the interesting thing, especially in the technical field, okay, think of all the big companies in the technical field, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, they all started in not so good times. So even if, so that's why I would say to someone is like, look, just because we might have an economic downtime does not mean that as a business owner, you should go in the corner and curl up and play defense. Because here's what's happening. Most companies, especially in the small business end, will play defense. If you play offense, you are now ahead of your competition. So when I say to my clients, I'm like, look, what happens is when there's a very good economy, you can get ahead on your strengths. When there's a bad economy, your weaknesses can kill you. So I usually say to people, when you're running a business in a, in a, in a weaker economy or a bad economy, make sure your business is efficient. And once you know it's efficient, do not play defense, play offense. But the key is to get your business efficient. So you know, make sure you have systems in place. You know, make sure you know your data. You know, what I usually say to people is just like a human being who has a DNA, a business has a DNA, and that DNA is their data. And the more you know your data, the more you know your business. And the more you can make really sound judgments if you know your data. There is so much noise and so much data out there. 
people throw up their hands to say there's too much data. I don't know which one. And so what people usually do is they go after the p they go after the the big things. Okay, I'm just going to look at revenue and profit. If you're looking at revenue, that's probably the last line defense. You know, you want to find out. You should know how you got that revenue, and then that first domino. You make sure that you know exactly the data that keeps that domino up and goes higher. Because once that domino goes low, you can stop it and say, "Wait, wait, that's low. Fix it before it affects your revenue." If you're at the revenue, you're at the last domino. And so that's why I say know your data because your comp, your business will tell you how it's going. You may not like the results, and usually when they come with me, they hate the results <laughs> because they haven't seen it before. And then that's a baseline of how I can work with these people. And pretty soon we get things going, and they kind of like the results more and more. That's great. Yeah, you know, you're doing great for your clients, even though it's a little painful for them. It helps them in the long run. You know, at the beginning it is because it really, especially you know, I ask all the time, what day drives your business? And everyone gets out the QuickBooks and says, oh, you want to see my spreadsheet? No, I don't want to see your spreadsheet. I want to, and so I usually ask them, look, okay, we know you have maybe QuickBooks. What's your CRM? Um, well, I kind of don't use a C Well, we have to get you a CRM. And if they don't have a CRM at the beginning or a leads generator at the beginning, we'll make one. We'll make one in Google, Google Sheets. I love Google Sheets. Google Sheets to me is the duct tape of the world. <laughs> Oh, I, I like I like this idea of a CRM and Google Sheets. One, one, it's free. <laughs> exactly that. But it's so we think about it. Think about what the concept of a CRM is. What's my pipeline? How do I get people into the pipeline? How do I make the sales from the pipeline? Yeah, it's simple. Those are three tabs. How am I going to fill the pipeline? What things am I going to do to get into the pipeline? So there's one tab. Okay, what am I? What's my pipeline? There's another tab. How am I going to get these people from the pipeline to sales? And then another tab, what am I going to do when the sales happen to keep these people happy? There is your CRM. If you don't have one. Now, is that the one I should use all the time? Heck no. But it's better than if they don't have one. Or some people have one, but it's like it's too complicated. I never use it. Again, I go down to Google Sheets. Okay, let's make this up. And I do it right then. I'm on a Zoom call with them. I open up Google Sheets and I start asking them questions. This is going to be your CRM. And then the data starts to fly and then we get to see what's working and what's not working. So that first tab, no one knows about you. You don't have a pipeline because nobody knows about you. Okay, you have a great pipeline. How come you're not landing sales? Okay, you're not doing something there. Okay, now you have sales. How come you have pissed off clients? Oh, because you're not doing this. Hey, do you have repeat clients? No, because you don't follow up with them afterwards. Boom, 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 boom. Very straightforward. A again, that's some, sometimes I do that. I say to people, I don't care if they have a CRM because if they're not using it properly, I don't want to use the word dumb it down, but I simplify it. It's like those are your tabs. And then what I usually start doing, I start, and here's the good news, and that's why I love, love, love data, is because there is, again, this is my background kicking in, there are tools out there that I can, one of them is called click data. And what you do is you can connect different data collections. So for example, if I want to say, 
I want to do Google Analytics, that data, that's one piece of data. Or if I want to see QuickBooks, there's another piece there. A CRM or my or my uh, Google Sheets, there's another one. And then what I do is I link all of them together and I come up with KPIs, which is key performance indicators. And that's how I make a dashboard. I make dashboards for my clients because instead of them logging into seven, six, eight different places, they log into one place, they watch. If the needle moves, they dig in. Just like when you're driving a car. If you're driving, you see the, the engine light go on, you go to a mechanic and it, they open up the hood and check. But you're not going to open up the hood every single time you get in the car because you don't need to. You look at your dashboard. Same thing with my clients. They look at their dashboard. If they see anything that's, that could arise, then they now go into that software tool that has more data to see what really happened. Yeah, it's a great way that you're using data in your business to help your clients. Like I said, I love how I started because that I have that mentality and a lot of people don't have the mentality and I find it very easy that I can help them because I think data is seriously the number one thing. And so I make sure that when I'm working with my clients, I don't care what profession they're in because every profession has data. I don't care if you're a construction worker. I don't care if you're, if you're a graphic designer. I don't care if you are just a financial planner. It doesn't matter. Everyone has data. That's true. That's very true and very applicable for every sort of business out there. Are there certain industries that you focus on? Yeah, what I do is I, I focus on uh, service providers. And the thing is, is service providers could be anything. The only thing I don't focus on is like restaurants or things that have a brick and mortar because I'm from the service industry and that's what I know. And so I help people that I, that I can know, you know. So like I said, I've helped uh, tradespeople. I've helped uh, professional people. I've helped graphic designers pest control people, tree climbers. I have people who are in their 20s. I have people who are in their 60s. Everyone. Yeah. But the key thing is, is they have to realize that they need help and they, they, they are willing to adjust. And that's what happens. Many people don't. There was one time that I was at a networking event, introduced myself to a lawyer. And he goes, oh, what do you do? I said, I'm a business strategist. And he goes, Oh, you really think I need one of those? And he walked away. (laughs) That was the extent of our conversation. I'm like, okay, buddy. You know, I felt like I wish I was uh, more more quicker. I would have handed my car and said, oh, you need me. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Now, I have one last question for you. It's a question that I ask all of my guests. Do you say data or data? Data. Well, there you have it. I had an awesome time chatting with you today, Dennis. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate your insights. Oh, Joe, this was fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to You Say Data, I Say Data podcast. To become a member, sponsor, donor, or podcast guest, please visit us at analyticsimpactnetwork.org.